Well, hi everybody, Father Alex here, host of the Godcast and also the vicar of St. Matthew's Church in Burnley. And I'm also the author of Our Daily Bread from Argos to the Altar Priest Story. Uh, that book is available on Amazon and all good bookshops and such like. Um, I do hope you enjoy this interview today with Paul Carenza. Paul is a writer, he's a comedian, he's a Christian, uh, he's, uh, he, he's a broadcaster as well, so there's a lot to talk about. Um, if you do enjoy the interview, then please do subscribe to my YouTube channel or follow me on, on X or Twitter, whatever it's called these days. Uh, you'll find me at Alex D. J. Frost. Uh, but for now, I do hope you very much enjoy this interview now with Paul Carenza. Paul, it's uh, it's really great to welcome you to the Godcast. How are you? Uh, delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, very well today. Yeah. Whereabouts in the world are you? I'm in Guildford. Sunny. Well, yeah, it is sunny, actually. Sunny but chilly Guildford right now. But uh, yeah. Has that, has that always been home? Is that Has that always been a place of residence? I thought you were going to say, has it always been chilly? It's always been <laughs> chilly here in Guildford. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I was born in Cornwall, but uh, moved up when I was a child, really. So I'm Cornish by... Uh, by blood, you know, very much Corn Cornwall is the is the identity. You know, it's one of those things. You know, no one claims they're from Guildford, really. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but Cornwall that stays with you. You know, so that's the name Carenza is a Cornish name. It's actually a stage name. I picked it because I wanted to give a nod to my Cornish roots. But um, but now realistically, I moved up here when I was five, so I'm I'm kind of more Guildford than than Cornwall, really. But there you okay. are. Okay. Yeah, I was I was thinking about my opening gambit, my opening question, and I was I was going to ask. Uh, had it been a nice, quiet Christmas for you? But I, I then looked at your website to see that you'd been <laughs> here, there, and everywhere with your uh, comedy and carols. Well, do you know what? I suppose actually, does it? It depends on what we call Christmas, because in terms of the, you know, the the Chris, the twelve days, uh, I'm a proper twelve dayer, me. So uh, in terms of Christmas beginning with Christmas Day, it's been a you know a lovely. Well, I say quiet Christmas. Suddenly, it went from busy with gigs to busy with family. You know, so um, but certainly the build up. Uh, the Christmas season, you know, what the, what the church would call Advent, what the rest of the world would call Christmas, um, was busy with gigs and things. Yeah, it's the busiest yeah. time of year. Suddenly, the people want to go out and have a have a bit of fun. What does that uh, comedy and carols format look like? Now, I know you're going to say comedy and carols, but yes, you know, <laughs> I am. What, what do you do? What do you do in that kind of show? Uh, it's 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 evolved really. It started off was a bit of fun. We did it at my my local church. Uh, about 15 years ago now and it was the, the original one was nine comedians and carols so it was each comedian was tasked with converting one of the existing lessons into a sort of telling the story but with, with a comedic take on it and I, we swiftly realized that nine is way too long you know people were missing trains home and everything plus also asking comedians to actually come up with a um, a particular stand-up routine based on Isaiah was a, it's a tall ask. So now it's become essentially a comedy night, a clean, good, clean, family-friendly comedy night. But I compare it with sing-along carols. Um, and we always do a little bit of a fun twist on them. So we do Silent Night to the tune of Postman Pat or um, the, the fairy tale in New York, but rewritten to be about the, the, the nativity story with Bethlehem and the like. So... Yeah, it's a way of trying to be very much um, family friendly, bit of faith in there, bit of proper Christmas story, but also the comedians I book and the I book magicians and musicians and things like that to make it quite variety. And normally they are, I'd say mostly Christian, but normally per show there's often one who's a good clean act on the circuit, but who really only goes to church when it's sort of weddings, 
and funerals, you know. So what's lovely about that actually has been seeing non-Christian comedians come into a church setting and go, actually, you know what, this is this isn't what I expected. This is nice, you know. This is uh, I haven't burnt up on entry, you know. So it's uh, yeah, that's been really nice as well. Sort of almost outreach to the comedians as well as to the communities because it's it's a bring a friend event, you know. Yeah. Now we're just a few minutes into this interview, Paul, and it's clear that you're a Christian. You're in a yes one of those open Christian comedian groupings you know thinking of people like milton jones uh, yeah. i don't know if you know andy kind and tony, yes you know tony vino from up these way these parts of the world um have you always been a christian were you were you raised in that in in that christian family well not particularly but my um i sort of jokingly say my parents weren't village weren't uh, ch weren't church people but they were village people there you go i blew the joke even as i said it but uh in that we it, you know i said i've been in in surrey since i was a child since i was five really and uh and our village was one church at the center of the village and sort of six pubs and to the whole you know the village life revolved around the church and the six pubs really so my parents sent me and my brother to church for uh, pathfinders and cypher and sunday school and scouts and choir and all of these any free childcare basically whatever they could you know get us uh get us over there instead of being at home that was it so when i came back going yeah this is good stuff this i believe this this is um this makes sense to me i think that was like well that wasn't the plan but okay so i'm the only christian in my family as far as i know i know like my gran used to go to chapel a bit um and things down in cornwall um so she you know she loved loved all that sort of thing but um but in terms of my my sort of nuclear family today it's uh it's just me as far as i know um but i was sort of as a result, as a teenager, just kind of finding my way as a Christian, like be the only one in my family going to church, I'd sort of say, you know, see you later. I'd, I'd cycle off off to church and chain up the bike outside, have a sing, have a have a worship, come home again for lunch. You know, that was my Sunday. Really. Yeah. Was that was it was it difficult being a teenage Christian? I I was um I read something on Twitter this morning where somebody had posted, you know, the problem with church is once the kids are too old for messy church, mm. nobody quite knows what to do with them. Was that was what was that your experience? Yeah, I, in, our church was great. I, I can see that for, as a problem for a lot of places, and our, our church, I think, really focused in on. And partly also, it's who have you got to work with? You know, we had a, a good f a number of people my age, and I know some of them are, are still today, and I know some uh, kept going in their faith, and some haven't so much. But you sort of need a core group of of young people. The church I'm now in, we've got um, a few young people, but again, we've got that sort of gap. I think between. I don't know where are we in our church probably between sort of 15s to say 18 maybe not too only like like one or two so then they either got to go young and they sort of do stuff with the 14 15 year olds or go old and go do stuff with 18 19 year olds so you, you've got to adapt I think constantly to who mm. you have you know um, and of course my, one of my other interests is media I'm a trustee of Christians in media and I do writing for tv and things like that and and I have a, and I do a podcast about the history of broadcasting so I'm kind of fascinated by the future of broadcasting and public service broadcasting especially and for years we've seen that gap in television as well so it's not you know the church has that problem as you said after messy church what then you look at tv as well and culture at large it's like okay you've got cbb's cbbc and then a gap of about five years and then bbc3 and 
sort of youth stuff kicks in. Yeah. But what do the teenagers do? There's nothing for them much on telly, you know, yeah. Doctor Who maybe, but that's it, you know. So I think it's it's a bit of a problem in the in society at large. We don't know what to do, you know. Yeah, it's really interesting for somebody who used to sell televisions for a job, you, um, you know, and, and saw them go out in the bucket load. You know, I think about my own kids. I've got young adults. They don't really watch BBC or ITV. Yeah. They, you know, they're, they're in some other ether. Yeah. Um, that 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 I I step into you know YouTube or whatever mm. it is and it, it mm. is really interesting, and if I happen to suggest a a drama like I suggested the post office drama that everybody's oh, yeah. talking about, mm. huh? it's like huh? you know yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. Of... yeah totally, and the trouble is um, mainstream terrestrial and indeed satellite and the like television has sort of given up on it a bit really and social media as you say obviously steps in so TikTok and YouTube and stuff at best you might find things like Netflix you know things like. I know when Wednesday, the Wednesday Adams uh, TV series was Netflix's most watched uh, TV series last year, and that's that's aimed at young adult um, books. You know, I, my son's thirteen, and he's getting into young adult books now, and I know that a lot of that fills a bit of a place in the culture. But otherwise, it's you're giving it over to social media, and which has a purpose certainly. You know, I do some social media stuff myself. I'm not a TikToker or anything, but you, I think we've got to give that credit for having the huge influence it does. But of course, the problem with that is us lot. We haven't got a clue what's going on. So everyone's buried on their devices and we have no real oversight or very little oversight as to what is what's being seen there and what what messages are getting out there. So it's it's yeah. a tricky one. It's really interesting. I mean, I'm jumping ahead of my questions here, but but my one of my my passions is comedy. I, I, I love uh, watching stand up comedians. I love uh, I, I've, I, it was a hope of mine that I would do that and and. I'm fortunate that I've had a book published, but I, I wrote a, a spoof sitcom that never really got off the ground. But actually, that was 15, 20 years ago. And now the the kind of, to me, you, you can share your your wisdom, Paul, is that the comedy world is almost shrunk in, in BBC and ITV. You know, you're, you're um, associated with great shows like Not Going Out and Miranda, but... Um, most of the comedy I see is on maybe on YouTube or on Reels or or TikTok. What, what's your what's your thoughts about that? Absolutely, I think uh, it's true that I mean the, the shows I've worked on. You know, I've been very had a, a, a lucky and blessed career uh, to a, to a degree to a point, but it's got a plateau to it. Certainly, you know, I did Miranda and not going out, and for for a while I was the only, literally the only person I think working across what at the time were the only two mainstream. Um, studio audience-based sitcoms, uh, you know, Lee Max and Miranda Hearts were the only ones being made. Now you've got Mrs. Brown's Boys as well, which is love it or hate it. And people do love it and people do hate it. Um, for a while, there was Upstart Crow, the Ben Elton sitcom, but that's no longer being made. There's There, there are no other audience studio audience sitcoms. And that's, of course, it's been going out of favour for a little while. I, I like to hope that there's a little, there is a future for it because the stuff I grew up with, you know, your Blackadders, Faulty Towers, Only Fools and Horses, I, I think the single camera show doesn't really replace that. I don't think it's not, it's a comedy drama. It's not the same thing. And we are, it's veering more now towards the drama side. So things like Fleabag, which was hugely, hugely popular, especially over the other side of the Atlantic, but it's being categorized more as like dramedy and this sort of thing. So we are edging away from old fashioned comedy. There are no sketch shows currently being made uh, for, for adults. There's horrible histories on CBBC, but that's it. And no, and hardly any sitcoms being made. Uh, Ofcom have called uh, comedy an at-risk genre, which is a bizarre way of looking at it. But yeah, it's not a good time for that because, as you say, they've moved on to the the TikTok and the like. And the commissioners, that are, unfortunately, are giving up and going. Actually, it's quite expensive to make sitcoms. 
So we'll make panel shows instead, you know. Do you think um, the nation has lost its appetite for comedy? I mean, I, you know, I kind of, um, I, you know, I think COVID, as one of the the residues of, of COVID is that I, I personally feel that maybe some of us have lost our sense of humour. I feel that about <laughs> myself sometimes. It's like, gosh, I've lost my funny bones. I've lost my capacity to laugh at stuff right. or, or for people to take the proverbial out of me, you know? <laughs> Um, is that just me, or do you think that's? Um... It's it's funny, isn't it? You know, people will say with with COVID, you lose your sense of taste, and um, you know, uh, lose your sense of humour as well, maybe, or, or at least uh, it, it. I think it, we're in a changing time where and it, COVID has changed habits. Certainly, people aren't going out as much, uh, so the comedy circuit has has shrunk. Um, there are more comedians than ever, but fewer gigs than ever. Um, there are certain ones still going, and they're doing they're doing all right, but people aren't going out. You know, I. But I can't argue against that because habits have changed. Before COVID, um, a lot of people didn't have, um, you know, they might have had Netflix. But since then, Disney Plus has come along, Paramount Plus, all these different things. Suddenly, it's too much content that we we can't fit it all in. So why go out for stuff as much? So I get that fully. But when we gather, magic stuff happens. It's great. I do loads of comedy shows for churches. And it's great. You can see community building through that. As for telly and radio and the like, we're laughing at different things. Um, there's a certain sense of should I laugh at that? We're we're, a bit, we're more sensitive. I think there are massive benefits to that. We're more aware of offence to others. At the same time, there's a lot of uh, reticence about oh, should we commission? Should we make this show? Is it going to be what what if? A lot of the what if you know about that. So that's shifting. I I think we will always want to laugh, and I think we do want to laugh. And there's nothing like a good comedy that unites people. So when it when a thing breaks through. And I don't know what the recent ones would be, but, you know, the ones that really do well. Ghosts has done pretty well. Uh, that's been a good family-friendly thing people have liked. I still get people saying about Miranda. I get people say, come up to me and say, like, oh, my my teenage daughter, that you know, that helped her through teenagedom, you know, and that sort of scoops up people there, which is great. But um, it needs a big hit, and you, you've got to find them. You've got to commission them. You've got to nurture them and the like. And um, and it's not it is not currently being looked at in, in in the way it was in the past. I think. Well, I think it will come back again certainly. But it's it's not a great time at the minute for for comedy creation. I think. What What do you think it was about Miranda? I mean, I've got a I've got an eighteen year old daughter that gets up and watches reruns, just watches it and watches it and loves it, and still laughs. <laughs>, laughs. What What do you think? was the the magic ingredient of that show paul well it's miranda isn't it i suppose is the magic ingredient you know she just nailed it you know and it's not you know we did three series of miranda and a, and a few specials and we've just done our hundredth episode of not going out and yet still i get people go not what not what it's, what's he called going in going staying in lee oh lee mac i've seen he does that would i lie to you and people we've done 13 seasons of it and people still don't know it you know um which is odd it's bbc one show and, and a lot the title is rubbish so let's be fair <laughs> um but miranda broke through in a different way and i think the message of miranda was a really positive one you know it's about if you're a misfit, it's okay. You know, celebrate it. Just, you know, skip down the street, be a fool. You know, celebrating the fool is what she did really, really well. Um, and I still get people say that really spoke to me on a different level, you know. Whereas not going out is just fun. It's just meant to be, I'd say good, clean fun. It's not always clean. It's good, fun, maybe. But it's sometimes a little bit late night, you know. Um, and I, I, there's another question we, we haven't even 
you know, looked at, but people sometimes go, well, as a Christian, you know, should you be associated with such late night filth? And I think you want to see how it would be if I wasn't in the room, you know, <laughs> so I'm trying to rein him in. But, um, but yeah, I think Miranda just, just cut through that. And, that, and that's the thing, you know, whatever the future is five years, 10 years from now, well, there'll be some big hit. It, it comes and goes. And the thing is you need a big hit to make more of it. Commissioners not being kind of slamming commissioners, but they, they can be lazy in that you go, what Fleabag worked, let's make more of those, you know. And so right now, well, like the Traitors is suddenly hugely popular. So we're going to get a whole load more of those versions of that sort of thing. Um, and of course, what what's cheap to make? So it's cheap to make shows where you just put a camera in people's homes, your goggle box or um, sort your life out with uh, Stacey Solomon, whatever she, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's just good, yeah. cheap, entertaining fun, yeah. you know. But things like The Repair Shop, you know, that's not a scripted show. But the joy, I think The Repair Shop, ticks a box that Miranda had uh Mortimer Whitehouse gone fishing I think it's good that's got it as well and it's those shows those feel-good shows and in times of crisis I think particularly we need shows and we we long for shows like that stuff that makes you just feel a bit better about the world and, and when uh time is called on a show like like Miranda and you know the I suppose the the standard response is oh we want to finish on a high Mm. How does the writer feel about that? As you, as yourself, you're thinking, well, you know, you're, yeah. you're taking away my income. Yeah, I know. Most. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> yeah. When they say finish on a you go, finish what finish? <laughs> no, no, don't finish. And uh, you know, the thing is, I mean, writing's not it's not a brilliantly paid job most of the time, and it's you sort of look at those. I'm not going out. It's probably got another series in it. We're having a, a bit of a gap year this year ahead. It would seem so. I read in the Radio Times and. Uh, you know, it, it, you hope it will continue, but you're always aware it can't. I mean, not going out had a far better innings than any of us thought it would. Uh, it's going to, I reckon it'll probably have one more season in it, maybe a few specials or something like that. But Lee is a workaholic and Lee Mack would love to just keep making it. You know, he'll just keep going. And that's brilliant. Miranda wanted to just do three and a few show seasons and, and that was enough for her. But yeah, we we cling to the hope they'll do more, you know, of something you know, would be nice. Yeah, and just going back to your your point that you made a minute ago about should should Christians be laughing at X, Y, or Z? You know, I, I'm I'm a I'm a vicar who's seen most of the most edgy comedians. You know, I saw Chubby Brown when I was a kid, and and uh, you know more recently Jim, Jimmy Carr. Um, is is there a threshold? Do you think Paul where Christians should say? you know, I'm not going to watch this because it might offend others. I mean, I, I personally don't get offended by anything, really. I mean, there has been one or two people I've seen, I've thought, whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, what's your take? Yeah, I, I've, and I go back and forth a bit on it, actually, I think. I, I grew up watching every sort of so-called edgy show, you know, late night Channel 4 and whatever I could find. Um, I was a comedy nerd as a teenager. And uh, and I've always thought I'd much rather be in the room. I've never walked out of anything because I'd much rather be in the room than not. You know, much rather, even if you don't choose not to laugh at a thing. Sometimes I've laughed at a thing and thought back and thought, oh, that was probably not a good thing to laugh about. That, has that helped the world? Has it helped what God wants for this world? And I've told jokes like that in the past. as Well, not for a while, I would hope. But I, I know I can think back now and think, oh, that joke, that routine, that bit when I started out. And I think when I started out, I hadn't fully married up like being a Christian and a comedian. I thought, oh, these are just jokes. And they are just jokes. You know, to a, they are at some point we need to just go, actually, come on, folks. Look, this is just we're having a laugh here. And we're sometimes trying to put the world to rights a bit by having a laugh, you know. And part of that is exaggerating and it's satire and it's punching up rather than punching down and things like that. 
Um, but that's certainly something I'm a bit more aware of. I think to begin with, I, I, I never sort of was, I was never Frankie Boyle or anything, but I, I'm sure I did jokes. I know I used to have a go at celebrities, certain celebrities that was just kind of topical or or trendy or whatever, just easy pickings. You know, I did. I used to do some jokes having a go at Jamie Oliver and I don't know his accent or is he's a bit too cockney or a bit too matey. And then I met him and he was lovely and I felt <laughs> awful. And I just, I think that was a real turning point. I thought I'm going to be a bit more careful about having to go at random celebrities and the like. And, you know, because you could, it's easy to jump on a bandwagon and go, oh, everyone else is having to go at, you know, yeah. Jordan or whoever the person <laughs> is of the day, you know, um, you know, but then you, but more, as I said at the start, you know, some of that sensitivity we now have, which is often painted as a bad thing, you know, all snowflakes and the like, but actually, you know, you look like Britney Spears or someone like that, who is having a horrible time. And I don't really fancy doing jokes at her expense. You know, people yeah. like that are really, really struggling. And sometimes if you can see the struggle people have in their lives, you think, why why go after them with a laser focus, you know, and all that sort of stuff? Um, it's tricky, you know. So I think maybe I'm getting old and just <laughs> leaning more. I love comedy. I do love it. But at the same time, you know, I, t I teach screenwriting at a university and I'm, I'm tr I've got a couple of a drama script in development. And, you know, we're speaking about this. I don't know when this is going to sort of be going out or indeed when people listen to it, because people listen back to these things much later. But in the wake of the, the post office drama on ITV at the minute, and we're seeing before our very eyes the power of a really, really good drama to create empathy in people mm. and to actually get behind the story a bit. And And now, of course, there's all this head scratching going on like, but why was no one talking about this earlier? And the media going, we were talking about it earlier. Why are politi politicians only choosing to act now? Well, because suddenly there's this groundswell of millions of people watching this show and really feeling for these people's lives in a different way. But that's, I suppose, more about the power of drama than, than comedy. But all of it, it's all just making sense of the world, isn't it, really, via entertainment, I suppose, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm really... Um, uh, I'm really fascinated by writing, Paul, and I'm just interested to... To learn how you know when you're taking a um, stand up and you sit down at your desk and you think I'm going to write some stand up, or you're taking the genre of a sitcom, I'm going to sit down and write some sitcom, or I'm going to write mm -hmm. some serious drama. Can you just explain to us the process or how they might be slightly different, and or what your approach might be to it? Yeah, I think, and they're all every project is different for a start. So, you know, there's, there's a drama, for example, okay, there's a drama script I worked, I tried working on last year, an original idea of my own. And it's, it was, I suppose, if, I, if it was anything, it was a comedy drama, but it was more drama than comedy. It had comic moments in it, comic characters, but I was trying to do that drama serial thing where end of each episode, you know, you, there's a, a serial quality to it and you want to know what happens next. Um, and it didn't, you know, I've, I've had it out there. I don't think it will go anywhere. I've, I've tried it in a couple of, producers and channels and things you know it could be i can come back to it and, and see so I, no, no project's ever ever dead in the water until you sort of um decide it so but then in this other drama script i'm working on at the minute um and maybe actually in the light of the post office saga it's a true historical story about a forgotten pioneer in radio that i think needs more credit and she's an overlooked uh female radio pioneer who's literally the history books have replaced her with a man who came along two years later and say oh he was the first to to do this no like, no she and she's got this brilliant story it's never been talked about or written about i'm in touch with her family who are saying why why is no one talking about our grandmother who was brilliant at this 
So maybe in the wake of the post office saga, I'm looking at that a bit more going, actually, there's a real sense of injustice in this story. And there's a sense of righting wrongs and using this drama to sort of process that a bit. And, you know, women in STEM is a big issue. I'm not saying that you should sort of rather cynically look at the issues of the day and go, ha, huh, my little story is latches onto that bandwagon. But at the same time, you know, finding visceral, interesting, vital stories that can improve the world, you know, great. Why not? At the same time, I know people who write horror and stuff and they're not out to really, you know, do any big world changing stuff, but distract us with entertainment. So there's value to all of these things. And then the sitcom stuff. I'm working on a sitcom idea at the minute with a, a, a friend um, and there's hints of religion and faith and that sort of element in it. And part of that is about us wanting to get that out there into mainstream media a bit more and go, look, this is good. It's a good thing. Faith is not, you know, whenever you put see a vicar on telly, it's normally in midsummer and they've done, they've either done the killing or they've got the hand in the till or whatever. There's always some dodge, but that's because, you know, in a crime drama, you've got to fill it with dodgy characters, but it doesn't reflect that well, does it? You know, on, on things. Yeah. I was watching the, again, so I've, I've just been watching the post office hmm. drama this week. And when you've got the, um, the former CEO of the post office, and then it's revealed that she was also ordained. And of course you pan down and then you reveal the dog collar. And then what is she preaching on? Firstly, it's in a one of these centuries old village of Dibley, County of Midsummer type churches that you only ever, you know, that do exist, but they, it's the only church you ever see on television, you know, bells and smells and the like. And she, of course she's preaching on the wisdom of Solomon and how effectively, you know, that subtextual thing of like how, how she's right and others are wrong. And you just think, oh, it looks so heavy. Faith can look so heavy handed on television. So that's part of our mission statement with our sitcom, just to go, actually, faith is a living, breathing part of humour and humanity in everyday life, you know. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating listening to to what you're saying. You know, you're a you're an established writer, Paul, aren't you? You you've got some you've got some big wins behind you, but it's also interesting to hear the challenges, you know, and I've spoken to other comedians who, uh, you know, they spend endless days writing and mm. almost toss the, the script over the shoulder into the yeah. bin because they think it just hasn't got legs. Do you, mm. when you're when you're writing a drama, do you put the feelers out quite early to see if there's interest, uh, you know, or or whether it's got legs, or uh, you know, before you invest your your time and effort. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, and depends again on the project, but sometimes you get a project where you write the full script up front. Sometimes you actually half write it or start writing just little sample scenes and spend a bit longer on the pitch, you know, the one or two page pitch. Um, and But again, it's getting in touch with producers, maybe it's finding someone who's, who's warm to ideas. Many, many producers are just going, look, I'm too busy. I've got my own stuff going on. I can't can't read your stuff. Um, so it's being ready for lots. It's, you know, so many of these projects are death by a thousand maybes or yeah you know it's a lot of that so there's never a given um and you know i always think I've, I've got you know a nice cv as you say but at the same time i i may never get anything on telly again you know and there's no given that's very possible and it's if not likely you know because my next you know not going out they they won't definitely call next year they might say thank you carenza you've had your time it's likely they will they've had me for the last 13 seasons but when that goes I don't have any regular bookings on television or or radio. Uh, and you pitch stuff and you pitch stuff. And but I, I know I know actors. I know some successful actors who can sort of. I, I'm pretty sure they'll do all right. You know, I've, they've got things lined up and they've got enough groundswell behind them. But it's tricky with unless with writing, unless you're really one of the top sort of one percent or point zero one percent who just can you know 
get those things out there but even then you spend years in development purgatory you know and the like that um you know so a lot of the time when you do get a big writing job and it pays off and people go cool that that writer's done well from that you think yeah that's because for five years ten years before that it's been unpaid essentially mm. it's a lot of unpaid work i spent last year probably six months of last year um of my work time just working unpaid on projects that didn't go anywhere i had three ideas that nearly went somewhere by christmas all of them had fallen at the last hurdle so you sort of go into christmas a bit glum like oh, that's the end of that one try again next year shall we whatever and then you sort of switch and think so i'm writing a couple of, of book things at the minute in one case one or two cases based on pitches for telly that haven't landed so i thought right well i'd like i've done the research i like the story i'll do it as a book and then it can exist as that if nothing else and then if someone else wants to make it for telly good luck to him but it's the book is the focus you know yeah. so you know you go back and forth I have learned through the publication of my own book and 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 that was supported by a you know the Harper Collins North. Um so there was some great marketing, you know, and it gave me a few moments in the sun, you know, on the radio and mm. telly. And um but you learn quite quickly that it's it's a fast moving industry, isn't it? The world yeah. of entertainment. And you know, I'd like I'd like to talk for 30 minutes about my book, but they'll give you mm. 30 seconds or three minutes or whatever, you know. Yeah. And and, I, and and I'm not a professional writer, you know. This was a side step to what I do, so I kind of I really feel for writers because I, I, I've you become quite precious about your work. I don't know if you feel that, mm. um, but for for some writers, they they invest so much time. And you just said there, Paul, that you you teach as well. What what is the hope for writers then? Do we still need them in abundance? Yeah, I think. And well, again, again, things like this recent drama shows. You know, people are suddenly going, "Hey, hey, writers, look! Here's your next crisis. You should be talking about. You should be talking about this scandal or that scandal. We need writers to do that and piece it together. We need comedians. We need comedy writers. We need um, authors to tell their story. And you know, and partly it's people telling their story for their own benefit as well. Going, I've got, I've got this memoir. I've got this, you know, tale. I need to get off my chest a bit here, you know, and it can help other people." But yeah, it's it's brutal. And even as a you know, I'm, I'm focusing on a book for now. And I've not done a novel before, so I'm doing a novel, historical novel, uh, telling this sort of true story, which I, I like. I in my head right now, I'm thinking this will be. I think it's the best thing I've done. I hope, and I hope it will also be one that will be, um, you know, I'm not expecting Richard Osman levels of of acclaim, but I hope it's one that will be picked up in a year from now, but also in ten years from now. Yeah. But you never know, of course. And I've I've done ten books, some of them children's books, which are very very brief. But of the books I've done, I know the two that I'm really, I think are the best. I think I think are the one. They're the ones really. And I know one or two others who I think actually that it didn't quite it didn't land for a reason. And um, at the time, you know, you approach every project like it's the best thing. But it's sometimes only afterwards you look at a bit of distance and go, oh, okay, um, yeah, do that differently or or not. Or sometimes you go, actually, I'm very proud of that book, of that project, of that book, whatever. And um, but and the thing with writing, it's such a lonesome um, task. You know, I, I I might have someone the other day who who said, oh, I've, I've been reading your book from ten years ago, and I you, it's a book you forget all about. You forget it's still out there doing its thing. But it's yeah. only when you bump into someone that person would never have emailed me or got in touch and said, "I'm reading your book." Yeah. It happens to be that I've met them because partly it's, it helps me that I do shows as well. I'm doing one or two shows a week, so someone will come to your show and then you know it doesn't happen every shows by a long shot but 
you know, every few months you might hear from someone who just goes, oh, I've got your bookie. Would you give me a little sign? You think, oh, it's nice. <laughs> it's it's, it's out there, you know. But otherwise, <laughs> you know, writers who only write or writers who don't perform or don't get to meet people like that in the same way, you must go through life just going, I did that thing, but is it is it being read? Is it out there, yeah. you know? And you've yeah. got to sort of just trust that it is and yeah i was i was in malta last year and i and somebody came up to me and was sat next to my wife we were waiting for the the flight and somebody just tapped me on the shoulder and said father alex i just want to say i've read your book and i was yeah. like, I was like hey. yeah that's made the holiday it was so wonderful get uh, the holiday that's it that's what you <laughs> my wife was like oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I just want to ask about somebody who, who I'm a big fan of, Paul, who I know you've worked with, and that's that's Chris Evans. Uh, you know, I'm, I do think he's uh, far and away the best radio DJ out there at the moment and has been for a while. How, how do you find, uh, I mean, I know you do Pause for Thought. Uh, um, just tell us a bit about that relationship with Chris, because you worked for him, didn't you, on TFI Friday, is that right? Mm, yeah, and then Top Gear as well, the uh, yeah. ill ill-fated uh series but you know we we uh you aim for the best you never know do you but yeah so i did it and that's all just potluck i did the radio i did pause for thought with him and um uh and then he, i happened to be in there the day that he was i mean you know chris is a whirlwind as well so he always he's he's generating publicity around him but he's he's leaning into it and he just you know the cameras would follow him certainly back then you know he's retreated a little bit more now mm. With, with Virgin and the like, but certainly then BBC, you know, Radio 2 Breakfast Show, it's the most listened to radio show, I think in Europe, I think it was at the time. I don't know if it still is. I think it's certainly still up there. Um, so there's always something going on. And, you know, there were cameras outside the studio. This was before COVID. We'd go into the studio up at Wogan House, which is just just closed actually this, this week. And so I've been reflecting a bit on the Wogan House days where you'd go in and, and they'd be, you'd walk past the paparazzi and the like, because they're just there all the time, knowing that every day celebrities would come in and out. And um, yeah, and then Chris sort of announced on air that he was the new host for Top Gear, and I was doing the pause for thought, and he knew I was a writer. I don't, I don't think he's seen anything I've written. I don't think he's ever seen comedy. You know, he, he sort of, I got the attitude from him that he was like, why would I want to watch some comedy when we could just go to the pub with mates and have a laugh? You know, let's laugh together. But he knew I was a writer. And so he he said, "Do you want to come and write? We might need a writer." Um, so I went, yeah, great. In fact, the t before that though, the TFI Friday thing, uh, that was coming back, and I told him, "This is right. I've forgotten this." I did the pause for thought, and I told him off air between the songs. I said, "Did you know I wrote TFI Friday back in the '90s?" Because this was the revival show they're talking about. I said, "I wrote back in the '90s for Freak or Unique, their their um thing where you had someone with a skill." And he goes, oh, great. Did we get back to you? And I said, you didn't. But, you know, it's fair enough. You had a lot of people who said, I'm sorry about that. Um, and he said, what was your skill? And I said, well, I've got no belly button. So I was just going to reveal my lack of belly button, which is true. I've had a surgery when I was like a day old. So I've never had a belly button since that, since then. And I talk about this on stage a bit and the like as well. So Chris said to me, he said, look, after, you know, pause for thought then was like 9.20. His show finished at 9.30. He said, 9.30, Will, the producer Will, Will, you know, as it always was on TFI. Mm -hmm. He said, he's coming in. We're going to go and film um, a couple of little clips for YouTube um, in the next door building. Do you want to come over and you can have a go at Will for, for, that we didn't get back to you about your free or unique thing? I was like, yeah, all right. So he whisked me off and, um, and it's in, on YouTube to this day. You can see me confronting Will that they never got back to me about, you know, my, my application in 1997 and, and yeah, got chatting from there, got to write for the show. So um, good fun. 
yeah. And now you do the you you still do pause for thought, don't you? Still do pause for thought under Zoe Ball, and uh, yeah, I did it this week, and and that was that was nice. Uh, so yeah, I'm nearly now... threw in a gag there and said not literally under. <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. That's very true. But they well now, I mean, literally we're miles away now because we do it, I do it from home most of the time. Partly they've moved the time slots; it's seven fifteen rather than nine fifteen, which makes it a very early start if I were to get up to London for then. But uh, but also they've they've kept that option open to do it from home or get. I normally go in once or twice a year to put a face yeah. in. But the thing is, you know, the train fares themselves are that's that's the entire fee gone really on the train fare. So, mm. um, not that you do it, we well, do it partly for the fee, but um, uh, but also it's just great to do. You know, good opportunity to. And is it a free range, Paul? Uh, do you, do you get to choose? You, do you just write something, or do they? Yeah, it's pretty free. Occasion. I've only had one, or I think I've had two ever where they've said, "Can you start again completely? That's not right." And <laughs> one was about um, breaking wind in church when I went with my toddler um not toddler baby newborn um who gave a massive fart um just when the the priest was saying and now before i speak in my sermon a few moments of silence as we pray for god's blessing on my words today and then you know <laughs> which was a gorgeous moment but uh but they went you know what you can't do that on pause for thought you know not gonna happen but other than that they would often tweak the odd word they still do most of the pause for thought to do they still you, you hand it in a day and a half in advance and they would normally say can you just change this or that um or maybe you need to do a bit more of this or it's a bit you know because there's a fine line you don't want to be too um preachy you don't want to, you don't want to do the whole oh let's do this let's we should do this you know waggy finger and there's just kind of that they, they want that way of of picking something in your own life really so often it's about here's what i need to do and then hope others can sort of resonate with that a bit yeah great well it's been really lovely chatting to you i've really i've really enjoyed this conversation have you got a busy uh busy first half of the year lined up have you got plenty of gigs in the uh, yeah, Nothing. I think always room for more gigs. So if anyone wants a gig, you know, comedy in a church, you're more than welcome to get in touch. But otherwise, teaching is there for a bit. Doing um, today, the rest of my day is marking on the scripts of those. I'm trying to get the novel done. Um, I'm self-publishing it. It's on the history of the BBC and the history of, of broadcasting. So that I've, I've I'm half written it. I've got to finish that. Um, and I'm I'm really knee deep in that. I do this podcast called the British Broadcasting Century about the origin, the original moments of broadcasting. And so now we've kind of launched. We've had the centenary. So now I'm looking at those little individual pioneers and like the first radio drama, the first religion on the radio, the first um, they had a, a, the first radio crossword puzzle was 1923, I think it was, which is an odd choice and obviously didn't last long because it turns out you can't do crosswords on the radio. But um, so I'm enjoying delving into 100 years ago and seeing who those forgotten broadcasters were. So that's that's my yeah, that's the first half of the year. And then on the road doing shows, I'm, I do a show about that called a sh An Evening of Very Old Radio. And I bring my gramophone, gramophone player, and pip pip, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. so that's a that's a good different route to take as well. Yeah. Right. Well, good luck with all that. And and um, is there anything you want to plug before we go? Oh, <laughs> any of that? About your podcast where we can find that? Yeah, I think I've done the. I mean, yeah, it's called the British that. Broadcasting Century. You're more than welcome. It's just I just run it myself. I don't do it with the BBC. I have to mention that every episode. This is nothing to do with the BBC, although yeah. I do occasionally work for them um and uh yeah that's the sort of thing i've been trying to pitch last year and trying to get those stories out there um I, i've been i mean in terms of the religion tie-in i've been particularly fascinated by the origins of religious broadcasting i recreated that on stage uh last year because I've, I've got a copy of the sermon so the, we've actually sort of recreated the entire 
uh, experience and recorded that for the podcast. Um, and my latest thing, I've, just, I've literally discovered this like last week. Turns out that in the 1890s, the, you could actually, not, not radio broadcasting, but you had this thing called the electrophone. You could plug into your house and you could listen to sermons from your house back in, if you were in London or, or Bournemouth, I think it was. So I, I'm intent on doing a bit more research into that, you know, because they there's these flyers I found where they, they actually listed by name the preachers, the ministers you would hear. So you could select different channels back in like the 1890s. This yeah. is Queen Victoria was a fan, apparently. So she could go down the list of um, and decide, I'd like to hear that preacher today. Thank you. So I think that's... I, I could talk to you for ages, Paul, because I love looking back. I used to do hospital radio and I... Yeah. And uh, I, it was in the... It was in the days of vinyl, and, and they had mm. this cabinet with records that have not been played for. Oh yeah, and I used to just pull them out and just say, yeah. "Let's play this," and it would be something like Edith Piaf, and you know, mm. and then I'd go and find something from <laughs> Shawaddy Waddy or whatever. Yeah. Right. Oh, 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 yeah. There you go. Who needs it? Lovely. Yeah. Well, well, thanks, thank you, Paul. Thanks so much. And anybody nice who's uh, enjoyed this, check out the Godcast. There's loads of comedians. There's loads of Christians. There's loads of musicians. You just Google it and you'll find it out there. So, Paul, thanks ever so much. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. God bless you and all you do. Thank you.